Welcome to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta, where we are committed to changing lives with faith, hope, and love. We're so glad you are here. Our second reading is from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 14, verses 25 to 33, and 15, 1 through 12. We are dropping into the story of King David in his later life, and this story is about the return of his son named Absalom, who has been exiled. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Now in all Israel, there was no one to be praised so much for his beauty as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. When he cut the hair of his head, for at the end of every year he used to cut it, when it was heavy on him, he cut it. He weighed the hair of his head 200 shekels by the king's weight. There were born to Absalom three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a beautiful woman. So Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem without coming into the king's presence. Then Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but Joab would not come to him. He sent a second time, but Joab would not come. Then he said to his servants, look, Joab's field is next to mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab rose and went to Absalom at his house and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? Absalom answered Joab, Look, I sent word to you. Come here that I may send you to the king with the question. Why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me to be there still. Now let me go into the king's presence. If there is guilt in me, let him kill me. Then Joab went to the king and told him, and he summoned Absalom. So he came to the king and prostrated himself with his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run ahead of him. Absalom used to ride early and stand beside the road into the gate, and when anyone brought a suit before the king for judgment, Absalom would call out and say, What city are you from? When the person said, Your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no one deputed by the king to hear you. Absalom said, Moreover, If only I were the judge in the land. Then all who had a suit or cause might come to me, and I would give them justice. Whenever people came near to do obeisance to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of them and kiss them. Thus Absalom did to every Israelite who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the people of Israel. At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow that I have made to the Lord. For your servant made a vow when I lived at Geshur in Aram. If the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will worship the Lord in Hebron. The king said to him, Go in peace. So he got up and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then shout, Absalom has become king at Hebron. Two hundred men from Jerusalem went with Absalom. They were invited guests, and they went in their innocence, knowing nothing of the matter. While Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor, from his city Gilo. The conspiracy grew in strength, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
My six-year-old has learned a bad word. Not a kid bad word, an adult bad word. And as a pastor, of course, I don't know any bad words, so I blame my husband. And he blamed me, and we both blamed YouTube, because we know our six-year-old didn't dream this up by himself. He picked it up from someone. He picks up things all the time, from family and friends, from cartoons, and from his favorite YouTube influencers. And we all do this. We pick up things from the people around us, and those people leave their thumbprints on our lives. I am who I am because my parents are who they are, because my friends have been who they have been, and because my church is what it is. None of us exist in a vacuum. We are shaped. Our Old Testament reading today is about a man named Absalom, and you might not have heard of Absalom, but I bet you've heard of the person who shaped Absalom. That person is King David. Absalom is the third son of King David, and you've probably heard of King David. King David, the great king who united all of Israel. David, the teenager who bested the giant Goliath. David, the father of Solomon. David, the ancestor of Jesus. You've probably heard of that David. But have you heard of this David? This David is only the shell of the hero he used to be. His glory days are long behind him. Somewhere along the way, this David got lost. He stopped serving God, and he started serving himself. This David took what wasn't his. A few chapters earlier, uh, before our reading, we found out that this David raped a woman named Bathsheba, and when she got pregnant, this David had her husband killed. This David has several sons. The oldest is named Amnon. Amnon sees what David has done, and he copies the bad decisions of his father. He turns around and rapes his sister, Tamar, his sister. And what does David do to punish this crime under his own roof? Nothing. That David, way back then, was the defender of God's honor. This David allows corruption and dishonor to fester in his own house. David leaves thumbprints on his children. His sons are watching him. His son Amnon learns to take whatever he wants. His other son Absalom learns that there is no justice unless you take matters into your own hands. So today we read part of Absalom's story, and though you may not have heard of him before, rest assured that everyone in David's kingdom knows who Absalom is. Absalom is the son of a king and the grandson of a king on his mother's side. Not only does he have the title, he has a chariot, he has an entourage, he's handsome, he's charming, and if this weren't enough, he's got the hair. Thick, long luxurious hair. Some of you are already jealous. Hair he has to cut every year. It's such a burden. It's so heavy. Apparently, he also had to publicly weigh it every year because we read that his hair weighs five pounds. If we only read this part of Absalom's story, we might not like him very much. He sounds like a very well-bred peacock. But there's more to him than that. 
There's more to him than that. See, Absalom does have every advantage. He is walking, talking, privilege. So when his sister Tamar is raped by her brother Amnon and his father David does nothing, this is like the young and the restless in ancient Israel. David does nothing. Absalom is shocked. This is a shock to a kid who's grown up with a silver spoon jammed firmly in his mouth. And he could have distanced himself from the situation, but what he does is he takes his sister in. Tamar is not just disgraced, she is ruined by the standards of the day. The Bible says that she lives from that moment on as a desolate woman. There is no Me Too movement for her, no one to support her, but Absalom does. Absalom sees the corruptions in his father's household and in the kingdom, and he is convinced that he can do better. So he gathers a following. He takes out Amnon, then he takes aim at David. He marches on Jerusalem, and David, who never backed down before Goliath, backs down before his own son. He packs up his household, and he flees the palace. Their armies battle across the countryside, David's people against Absalom's people. And to be clear, these armies are largely made up of family and friends. This is not a war between strangers. This is personal. They battle all the way to the forest of Ephraim, and there is Absalom riding through the forest with his long, thick, beautiful hair trailing behind him, badly in need of a haircut. Now, in his defense, he's been pretty busy, and we understand we all get busy and we miss our hair appointments. Absalom's been busy raising an army, staging a coup, storming through the palace. He's been far too busy to get his hair cut, so, when his mule races below a low-hanging branch, that hair gets stuck. And the mule keeps going, but Absalom is left hanging in mid-air. Now, the commander of David's army is a man named Joab. Joab is also Absalom's cousin. I told you this was all in the family. Joab catches up, and he doesn't hesitate to throw a spear through Absalom's heart. Now, you thought your relatives hated you. It could be easy for us to say that Absalom got what was coming to him. He brought this on himself. After all, he's the one that burned the field down of Joab just because Joab wouldn't talk to him. And how dare he challenge his father, King David, the great King David. How dare he believe that his inexperienced hands could best a military giant? It would be easy to lay the blame all on him. But what I know and what you know is that the apple doesn't usually fall far from the tree. Absalom is who he is because David was who he was. We don't like to think about this. We don't like to dwell on the shortcomings of our heroes. We don't like to remember that David lost his way and lost sight of God. It's better to hide the dirty laundry than admit it stinks. But it does. So David lives the rest of his life in a big, beautiful palace, but David's house, his legacy, is a shambles. 
And sure, in the end, David does repent, and he does make things right with God, but he never did make it right with his own family. What kind of thumbprints are you leaving? We all leave thumbprints. We leave them on our kids, and we leave them on our families. We leave them on our coworkers. We leave them on our communities. You don't realize who's watching you always, but people are watching you. There's a swimmer in the Olympics right now named Michael Andrews. He has a photograph of himself and Michael Phelps about 16 years ago. And today, Michael Phelps is commentating and Michael Andrews is swimming in the Olympics. So you never know who's looking up to you. Our choices matter. They matter for us personally and for those around us because the choices we make shape the people we love and even the people we don't love. Our choices have impact for better or for worse. And the legacy that we leave is built brick by brick on a lifetime of choices. Some legacies set us up for failure. And it can be a Herculean effort to escape the undertow of a bad legacy. Other legacies give us a leg up. Our New Testament reading today is the opening words of 2 Timothy. This is a letter of encouragement from the Apostle Paul to a young Christian in the early church. And in verse 5 we read, I am reminded, Timothy, of your sincere faith a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. So the legacy of Lois and the legacy of Eunice live on in Timothy. He is who he is because his mother and his grandmother were who they were. Faith is not a private undertaking limited to the confines of our heart. Faith is a public journey. We walk in full view of one another. And by our choices and our actions, our faith is made known to the world. And so I feel very blessed to walk alongside this congregation. You already know that faith is a public journey. I know this because I see how you live. And I am inspired by that every day. This house isn't built on sand. It is built on rock. And when the rains come down and the floods come up, The walls of this house stand firm. And I know that because we have had our share of rain. This house is built on rock. And so it is a blessing that your thumbprints are on my life. Just this month, I've learned from some of you what it means to live faithfully. And here's my my short list. It's not complete. I'm adding to it every day. Marjorie Clark has shown me what it means to be generous with time and energy. Joe Bryce has shown me how God can be at work in our darkest, most painful hours. Ann Stoskoff has shown me how to weather frustrating circumstances with grace and humility. Matt Sherwood has shown me how to listen patiently and speak thoughtfully. I am who I am because you are who you are. You are shaping me, and you are shaping one another. And someone, someone is shaping my six-year-old. We took away his toy, and we made him apologize for offending everyone with his potty mouth. But this is just the beginning. I understand that it gets worse. Some of you have teenagers, 
and I hear the kind of things you worry about. This month, some of our, our graduating seniors will be leaving home for the first time, heading off to college or beyond. And it's a time of celebration, and it's a time of trepidation. What if they get tangled up with the wrong crowd? What if they develop bad habits, bad choices? What if they walk away from their values and their faith? And if this is your worry, take heart. Because Timothy's goodness does not exist in a vacuum. And Absalom's ambition does not exist in a vacuum either. Absalom is shaped by his father and his brother and their poor choices. And Timothy is shaped by his mother and his grandmother and their wise choices. The women who loved and nurtured Timothy shaped him. So whether Timothy is at home or out in the world, Timothy is who he is because they are who they are. And their thumbprints are on him. Not just their thumbprints, but God's thumbprints too. Because to be a Christian is to be part of a legacy greater than any human legacy handed down to us. We claim a spiritual legacy handed down by our Father in heaven. Jevons reminds us most Sundays, we are not our own, we are God's own. And as God's own, we rid ourselves of anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. And we clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and love. We bear with one another, we forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven us. We allow ourselves to be shaped by Jesus himself. And what God has claimed, we cannot unclaim. We cannot wash away the years of love from this family of faith, and we cannot scrub off the seal of our baptism. We are who we are because Jesus is who Jesus is. Thanks be to God. Amen. This podcast is a ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta. Come join us Sundays at 189 Church Street, Marietta, Georgia, or visit us online at fpcmarietta.org.